this. All right, Sarah Thomas, let's gavel this to order. Um, I appreciate you joining me here, and I feel like we're old friends, but we've never actually met in person. I know. When is that going to happen? We have to make that happen sometime. Whenever the CDC says we are allowed to, I suppose. <laughs> I don't know. Fair. Yeah, we we corresponded a lot over the over the pandemic, uh, working with the the quartet you're in, Bergamot, and um, and so on a piece with Darian Thomas um, called Individuate, and it was a really great great experience. We had a lot of really intense conversations around the sort of subject matter that the piece was dealing with, and it was all really intense and great. And I love those chats, but it never happened in person. <laughs> and so like, you know, um, anyway, just to say, yes, we need to make that happen. Um, but you and I corresponded a little bit on Facebook messenger about just some personal feelings that we had, which is why I think I asked you to join the pod, join me on the podcast and we can get to that stuff. But I'm kind of curious if you can tell me, Sarah, just a little bit about like baby Sarah Thomas, like what, where are you from? What did your what did your folks do? Like, what did what got you into music at all? Like, how did you end up in a string quartet in New York City? A great question. Sometimes I wonder that too. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I lived there until I went to college in Baltimore, mm. um, where I lived the last seven years before moving here in August 2020. The best mm. time to move to New York City. <laughs> um, so I started playing. I started playing violin when I, like, people don't believe me when I say how. I, I think there's a picture of me holding a violin at, like, 18 months. Um, mm-hmm. So, Did you yeah. have the, the typical, like, <clears throat> um, like, what were you, what did your folks, were you, sorry, what did your folks do? Were you, did you grow up in a musical household? Like, why were you holding a violin at 18 months? Like, what, whose idea was that? Yeah, so my, my parents aren't musicians, um, but both my older sisters had started playing uh, by the time I was born, they were eight and 11 when I was born. So they were well in their Suzuki violin world by that point. And so it was kind of a natural progression for me to then also go down that route. Um, I think they started lessons just cause, um, you know, music is great. And my parents realized that. And there was, um, a violin teacher that had just started teaching at the church that we went to. And, um, so they're like, okay, let's do violin lessons. Um, I don't think they expected that all three of us would end up kind of going down that road in a more permanent way. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so that but the, must have been a fun surprise for my parents. But and so, did you go to like was it public schooling? Like, where did you um, and like was this? I'm sort of trying to figure out the 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 ecosystem in terms of music education in Memphis, Tennessee. That like Suzuki violin is was really common, clearly at least mm-hmm. in your town. And, and I'm at, like, is that as common a thing in other like Midwestern towns? Like, like, I don't know that the Suzuki violin thing was a big deal in Dover, Ohio, where I grew up in 1994. Um, but like, was, is that, a, is that a pretty common thing? Hmm. Um, I feel like it's common, but I, maybe it's not, I think it's probably regional. Um, I know there definitely are um, like sh- big Suzuki schools kind of all over the place. But if there's not one, there's not one also, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I, I mostly studied the, the, again, the church that we went to um, at that point had a, when my sister started just a budding school of performing arts and now quite a big one. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so that's where I studied. I was homeschooled. So that was my um, mm-hmm. musical outlet was, was there. Um, plus like youth symphony and stuff once, mm. once it was time for that. Okay. Yeah. And so I, that's interesting that you were, you say you're homeschooled. I, I, I knew, I knew one, there was one kid when I was growing up who was homeschooled. And at that time, like if you homeschooled, you were an alien, like nobody <laughs> was homeschooling then. I mean, you didn't, there was no Twitter. There was no like social media, Facebook groups that you could meet as a homeschooling parent, you know, trying to imagine if COVID had happened then, like how we would have gotten through stuff. But, um, but now it's, it's much more common and, or at least it's much more in the sort of ether and people know about it. Like, what was that experience like for you? Like growing up? I mean, I went through public school and was just like, that was normal to me, but homeschooling was clearly normal to you. Like what, Right. and and was that, was there a tie-in to your church? Like, was there some connection there in terms of, or was that all totally separate? It was, it was separate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I knew a lot of other people who were homeschooled Mm -hmm. um, from, from my church, but it was a separate thing, separate organization. Um, you know, it was great. I, I didn't go to school until I went to Peabody. Mm. Um, so Peabody and Menace are the only schools I've ever been to, which is kind of funny to me. I mean, it's, um, I would, I, I mean, I, funny isn't the word I would use, but I would say it's, you're, you're an interesting data point. Like in my life, I don't know. I know very few people who have only gone to school at like in a building with other people at Peabody and Manus, you know? And yeah. so like, I, yeah. Funny isn't the word Pretty I would bizarre. use, but it's, you are an interesting outlier in terms of the people I know, you know? Yeah. Um, I think it was, it was good for me though. I think it's, I think homeschooling isn't for everybody, but it was uh, what I needed. And um, I think I learned how to learn what I need to, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think maybe my math and science aren't as strong as they maybe could have been. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I have the tools to, learn that if I needed to yeah. and I just didn't yeah. really <laughs> yeah, no 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 yeah I mean um, there's lots of things oh. I, didn't, I didn't learn in public school too you know right right exactly yeah. I'm curious like one of the things that as a musician that I'm and I don't know if this is because I'm a percussionist and that sort of gave me the, those specific tools but um thinking critically and thinking creatively as a percussionist to solve a problem is something that I feel like nobody really there wasn't a class that I took it was just because I was a percussionist, like that's how I got good at figuring out like creative science solutions in my science classes or whatever. Um, and that's a very solitary, like I just learned that on my own and I'm kind of curious for you then walking into, like, I feel like you maybe were armed with some of those tools at an early age. And I'm kind of curious, like going into an environment like Peabody was Peabody the first place you went. Yes. Yeah. So going into that, what did you notice first about like, Oh, I have these tools, but I, uh Oh, I don't have that tool. Like, like, did you have any moments of like, you know, when the rubber meets the road of like, Oh, Oh no. Like I'm in this building for the, what were there any sort of things that dawned on you? I think the first time I realized that is when I decided I should take a neuropsychology class at Hopkins for fun. Mm -hmm. And I realized I didn't know how to like play the test game. Oh yeah, yeah. Like how to memorize parts of the brain and just mm. go in and ace a test. That is not something that I could do. But luckily, I didn't really need to do that at Peabody. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just a random class that I decided would be fun to take. It was not really fun, but mm-hmm. I did learn a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Otherwise, not so much. I actually was just. It was interesting having teachers mm-hmm. um, for different 
subjects and having oh, yeah. um, people to ask specific questions to. Um, of course, I, I I had you know my sisters and my my family to yeah. ask questions to uh, in schools. So I don't necessarily feel that was missing, but it was just in a different way. Right. Um, it was kind of easier once I actually got to college, and it's like, oh, if I have a question after class, I can just stay and ask a question. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there you is know? something too, like like the 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 luxury of being with your family when you have a problem. Right. It's like, yeah, they're always there for you, but they're also your family. <laughs> you know, like if you have a big fight with your sister or something, and then you're like, I have a question about, can you teach me chemistry, please? Biology, you know, <laughs> right. or something like that, that there's a, there's an energy there that isn't yeah. there by default in a place like Peabody or, you know, there's a, there's a stranger, you know, and now there's other issues that can come from that, of course. And, you know, you have to navigate that and figure out how to whatever build that trust. And, you know, I have a few teachers who in my life, I think of all the teachers I've had, there's like four that I like, Yeah. When I have a question as a 70 year old man, I know those four people are who I'm going to go to, you know, and I'm grateful. Very for, true. I'm, yes. I'm grateful for that, you know, but it took me all of these years of public school to get like, yeah, there's four that they're my people, you know, um, like, so you, you get into Peabody, right. And so like you get into this, you're now you're in this ecosystem where I'm going to guess you are no longer the, the best violin player in your crew. That is definitely true. And yes. can you, and, and I'm saying that just like self-identifying as myself. Like when I went to Yale for the first time, I was like, all right, made it to Yale. And then I'm like, oh my, oh no. <laughs> like, <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> yeah. What have I done and how do I get out of here? Um, what was that experience like? Or, or am I grafting, am I projecting my own personal experience onto yours? And assuming oh, no, you no. have the same, same one. It's definitely true. Um, and I also... When I, so, so I did my undergrad and my master's at Peabody. So I was there for six years mm-hmm. and I took a year off and now I work there. Um, so my first few years I, in my undergrad class, I had a really large violin undergrad class and a very strong undergrad class. So that was really exciting and sometimes intimidating. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my studio, there were seven of us in the same year, um, which was, which for Peabody is, I think most other years was like maybe two people. Mm-hmm per studio, you know? Um, so that was really great actually having that community of people my same age doing the same thing with my teacher, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like that pushed me a lot. And then I think being there for so long, being there for six years straight, I was able to obviously grow a lot and kind of that shifted, um, the number of people like in my studio and in my year kind of shifted as I moved on to grad school, part of Peabody and stuff like that. But I don't, I think in terms of my personal experience as a student at Peabody, it wasn't super competitive in a bad way, which I appreciated. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's true for everyone or just my perception. Um, but for me, it didn't feel that way. It felt kind of appropriately challenging mm-hmm. um, that I had people that were inspiring to I had immediate colleagues who were inspiring to listen to and to learn from each week um, without feeling threatened or, (laughs) you know, um, like there was unhealthy attitudes there. Yeah. Um, That was, that was my experience. What what was, um, I mean, I know for me, again, I'm just like, well, the podcast is called constant honesty. So I'm just going to tell you what I, what I've experienced in my truth and then let you, let you respond to that. But like, um, when I was in school, there was a couple tracks that everybody was sort of pushed down. One was orchestral, like, you know, taking auditions, getting that 
stuff shored up. The other was getting prepared to possibly go get a doctorate and teach somewhere. Um, and if you were some weird outlier that poked and made it and you were then a performer, that was like, well, if you strike the lottery, that's what you'll end up you know, being, right? Um, but I looked at the, or- the orchestral world and I was like, there's like three percussionists in every orchestra. Like, what are the odds of me getting good enough to get that triangle job to get paid $110,000 a year? Like, that's crazy. There's one, like when one of those people goes away and there's a spot open, there's like 700 people who show up for that one spot. But in for string players, for violinists, I'm going to guess that the orchestra world is one of the main tracks that you get pushed down in school. Um, but there's, there's like 70 of you in the orchestra. But, but there's, there's also probably more than 700 people showing up. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, there's like 2,400 people who show up for every audition. Like, But how, was was that anything that you personally had to navigate being in being in school in terms of, or, or did you go in, I mean, and the reason I bring this up is I went into school having really no idea what I wanted to do. So I was like, well, I guess I'll take orchestra auditions. And it was like terrifying to realize that was A, something I couldn't do and B, something I didn't want to do. You know, so how did you skin that cat when you were in school? I mean, you're now doing something that it seems you really love and you want to do, but like, was there any middle ground there where you were grappling with that idea? Um, you know, I've never liked orchestra. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, uh, and I, and I, you know, that's maybe never is a strong word. I definitely, ha- there have been times in my life that I've been in an orchestra and it's been really inspiring and, and mm-hmm. fun. Um, but it's not often. And so I think I kind of already knew by the time I went to school that that was not something I wanted to do. Maybe sometimes mm-hmm. again for mm-hmm. fun, like, mm-hmm. you know, there are days right now that I'm like, Oh, I would really like to play a Beethoven symphony. They just feel really nice to play sometimes, you know, <laughs> but um, yeah. And I, and I started playing chamber music also from a really young age from mm-hmm. like fourth grade, pretty much. I was in, I think starting in fourth grade, I was in some sort of consistent string chamber group. Mm. Thank you. Thanks to my mom who yeah. organized the first one, which is a violin trio with my two best friends in like fourth through sixth grade, which is yeah. great. Um, so I think I've always, I've always known that chamber music was um, a goal to be part of my life, at least in some way. Mm. I know I didn't have clear ideas of what that would look like. And I didn't know what new music was um, at all. Actually, I think in like fifth grade, I went to a Kronos Quartet concert and I thought it was so weird that we left halfway through and now here I am. So <laughs> we just rehearsed with the Kronos Quartet and with a new piece by Analika yeah. Negron. So I will be sure to tell David Harrington. Oh, yeah, that yeah. You left sure early. Well, and to, be, to be clear, I probably did the same thing. Like I, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, my exposure to like contemporary music was very limited. I mean, it was John Cage yeah. and Steve Reich. And now both have heavy influence in terms of the world I now live in, but John Cage was like as weird. Steve Reich really wasn't weird. You know, John Cage, I mean, we're going to stand here for four minutes and 32, three think Like, that's insane. What are you doing? And I'm in high school thinking just a silly goose all day, you know? And um, so like, yeah, I think if I would have gone to a Kronos Quartet concert, I'd have been like, nah, I'm going to go listen to Dave Matthews band in my dorm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so anyway, just, it's okay. I think that's pretty funny. Pretty normal I'd forgotten about that until a while ago. I was like, I really think in middle school, I went to this concert and I, and I, it took me a while to like connect the dots that it was 
that's who it was because then I learned about Cronus again later. And I was like, yes, this is awesome. Um, and then I was like, wait a second. <laughs> it's all right. You're, you know, we all were, we all are young and you, you make snap so decisions, and, but like, okay, well you, you're saying something that's encouraging to me, I think. Um, but is also symptomatic. I think of the, one of the differences between being a percussionist and being a string player. Um, there is a culture of chamber music in string playing in general, right? There has been for a long, for hundreds of years. And so the idea that that would trickle down to, you know, 18 month Sarah Thomas in Memphis, Tennessee, and your mom is like, your mom didn't think it was weird. Your mom's like, yeah, let's organize a chamber music. Like, so something in the air landed in your mom's brain at some point that then manifested itself later in making a concert with her daughter and her two best friends, right? My mom, that never would have crossed her mind to be like, let's make a chamber percussion chamber music concert in our living room with Josh's friends. Like, no, per- you know what percussionists were doing? We were on CB radios talking to truckers during rehearsal in the back of the ba- back of the rehearsal room. You know, that's true. I did that in high school. Almost. Oh, I believe you. Yeah. So, but now that's maybe a little different. And so it's, I'm glad to hear you say that, like, I just I never connected that that I just assumed every string player going into school is just like well here we go Beethoven excerpt you know or whatever. Um, I mean that's also true to some extent. You know I've done my fair share of excerpt practicing and. Well, what is it? So yeah. how did you land? How did you land with Bergamots and like where? What was the moment in your sort of? I don't want to say calculations, but like when was the moment you were like okay, no whammy, no whammy, no whammy. I'm going to do it. You know, and like, and you like, or was that, or was this like, you just woke up one day for me a little bit. It's like, wait a minute, it's 2021. I guess I made a decision, <laughs> you know? And so like, when, how, how did that go for you? Yeah. Oh, yay. Bergamot story time. Um, yeah, it's a good question. It was definitely gradual. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's see. I started playing some new music. My, sophomore year of college gradually um thanks to a class I was taking at that time with Judah Adashi who was just like making us listen to a bunch of very new music like like the class is different every semester because it's very it's whatever has just been really written (laughs) um and so I was like wow this is cool and weird and I went to my first new music concert which I think was an Amy Beth Kirsten concert um and just like started kind of being curious playing on comp recitals and stuff um and then people are like oh you're a violinist that plays new music can you do this and I'd be like sure and so that just escalated pretty quickly um so after about a year of that um I was talking with Lita who's the other violinist in in Bergamot um and she was like I really want to make a string quartet to for chamber music credit next year to like just learn some new string quartet music because um, she was also playing a lot of new music at that time. She's also a composer, um, but just hadn't had. I don't such think a I knew Lita chance. was a composer. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, a composer. I, maybe actually, I, maybe you said it and it just went in one ear and out the other. We just finished recording her piece on our album on Saturday. Awesome. And it's going to be awesome. It's That's um, great for quartet and drum kit with Terry. Sweet. Uh, as well for, I love Terry big. I'm, I'm all team, all Terry all day, you know, like a big fan, but I also, as a, as a, you know, as a member of a group who plays one of its members music a lot, like that's a, that's a good thing. I'm glad that you're 
you all did that for and with Lita. I mean, I know for Lita, our, our first commission, actually, I'm sure for Lita, like oh. that was terrifying. Like, <laughs> you know, it, like it was all, all at once a warm blanket, but now she's like asking her friends to do hard things. And you all are like, <laughs> Lita, now I have to practice. <laughs> That's awesome. Though. Yeah. It's, it's been great. It's exciting. Um, yeah, but we started talking and, and we were like, okay, let's learn some quartet music. That'd be great. So we got together with a violist and then um, couldn't find a cellist. Like there were zero cellists at Peabody that wanted to play new music with us. But luckily we found Irene who had just come to school through her advisor who we had just said, hey, we're looking for a cellist who likes new music. And thankfully they then like met Irene right after that. So nice. um so that all came together. We played together for a year um, for mostly just for school. Although again, people were like, Oh, you're a quartet that plays new music. Can you do these things? So we ended up being a pretty busy year for us, which was great. And then our violas graduated and moved and we split up. This was like 2016, 17. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the fall, um, Courtney Orlando, who taught at Peabody, and was kind of a mentor of ours was like, Hey, do you want to play black angels at the Kennedy center? And we were like, let us find another violist. <laughs> so um, then Amy had just started school there and we found Amy and Amy is wonderful. And we got back together just to play that piece because we really wanted to play that piece. Yeah. Um, and then we realized we really loved playing together and people were like, Oh, so you're going to stay together. Right. And we were like, oh, actually, yeah, we are going to do that. And then that was pretty much it. <laughs> there is a great- so again, it was a process over several years. Um, it wasn't just like, okay, let's start a string quartet forever. It was kind of like, oh, we should start a quartet for, for fun, for credit. And then it just kind of ended up. It's amazing how much of it, it becomes sense. a like self-fulfilling prophecy a little bit. Like you're like, let's start a new music chamber group. And then all of a sudden, like somebody's like, I heard there's a new music chamber group. Hey, did you hear about that? They have a show at the Kennedy center. Like, and you guys haven't played any shows yet. And every, like word got out and all of a sudden you're like, Hey, yeah, I got this thing. And now, now you're a chamber music group who plays new music and you get, you, you sort of like the cart got before the horse, but now you got a lot of horses. <laughs> that is a very good summary. Yes. Um, I mean, it happens, that's pretty much note for note the way it happened with so percussion and quite frankly still happens. Yes. Reputation now is like starts to precede you and you get work from that, but like, it's still like, here's what we are. And then you're just like, and, or who, who's, who's here. We, this is who we want to be. Right. And then you sort of hope that has enough gravitational pull to attract the things that let you be the thing you want to be. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, sometimes it ends up, you end up attracting something you didn't expect. And maybe that then changes who you are 10 years later. But um, anyway, I just, I'm, I'm relieved to hear that your experience forming a group was no different than it was with so like you just, mm. it snowballs. Uh, but then there's a moment where you wake up and you're like, Oh, I can't leave now. Like, <laughs> there's this great, do you know this movie, a Bronx tale? No. It's a really great, it's an, it's like from the early 2000s or late 1990s or whatever, but it's a, it's a gangster movie with uh, Chaz Palminteri and there's a scene where these bikers take over a, uh, an Italian mafia bar, right? And they're in there and they're destroying the place and being rowdy and Chaz Palminteri, who's like the mob boss, he just walks in, he politely asks them to quiet down and they tell him to screw off or whatever. And he just turns around, he shuts the door to the bar, locks it from the inside, and he turns around, and they all get this look on their face. 
And he says, he just looks at him and he goes, now you just can't leave. And it was like this moment of terror just like waves over all of them. And these guys with baseball bats come out. Now, the so percussion story, and it doesn't sound like the Bergamot story ends with baseball bats, but there is a moment where like you realize like, uh-oh, <laughs> now I just can't leave. I'm stuck. Um, here I am. <laughs> yeah, here I am. Um, well, so what, what, um, what are outside of individuate, like what are some things now like as Bergamot is – starting to take shape as a, as an organism that is now has an identity of the four of you. Like what are some of the conversations the four of you are having now of like, what do we want to do now? Like you, you said earlier, like I want to, we want to be this and then sort of things happen. And now you have a little bit more control. Like there's more mm-hmm. hands on the steering wheel. Where do you want to, where do you want to steer it? Knowing that it can go anywhere yeah. in the future and something else might come up. But if you had your say, it's a good question. Um, I feel I'm my my brain might not be quite in a place to answer that question because we literally finished recording our first album two days ago. So I'm kind of just like, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> that happened. I'm not going to hold it. I will. I, I will never hold anybody to anything they say on this podcast. You are welcome to change your mind five minutes after we end. Uh, no, I just mean like I my brain has been so much like on that for the mm-hmm. last year that now I'm like, oh, what are we doing now? Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's that's. It's a good question, though. And we've been talking a lot, um, I think, this past year, especially in the early pandemic days when we weren't seeing each other for four or five months. Um, we kind of used that time to do a lot of, of thinking and dreaming and um, longer-term brainstorming and trying to figure out what's important to us as a group. And something we were able to start doing more of this year is um, working with really young composers. Um, I think last year we worked with composers ranging from like fourth grade through grad school um, and pretty much everything in between. So we did some stuff with um, elementary school students at, at Manus Prep, um, a program with middle school composers at Peabody, Mm -hmm. um, Mata Junior, which is with high school composers, and then some composition readings and workshops with both undergrad and grad composers at different universities. And so that's not really something we had had that much opportunity to do the previous years before this past year or two. And it's something that I think is really important to us. So we're always kind of just trying to think about how that continues to fit into what we're doing in a, in a long-term way. Um, Hopefully that means at some point being able to maybe start our own programs that are geared towards that. I don't think we're really in a place to do that yet, but it's something that's on our mind. And why do you say um, I think in the meantime, well, I think in the meantime, like working with, our, our current collaborators, the people I just mentioned and, and other organizations that are already doing really great work with young composers and learning mm. from them. Mm-hmm. I think we have more of that to do before we can be like, we're going to start a program because we, we just, we have a little bit, I think more, more learning to do before doing that. I, um, I'm sorry to interrupt, Sarah. So, I mean, I, yeah, I, of course. I'm just like super excited hearing you talk about all these things that like, so isn't doing those things. We're doing other things, but like when I hear that you guys are tackling these, you know, you're working with fourth grade composers, like that's awesome. Um, I want to just encourage the, like, yes, learn, yes, figure out, you know, look at your colleagues, go to other festivals and figure out like, how are you doing it? But like for better or worse, so percussion started so because we were drunk at a bar in at Smith college. We were not equipped to do it. We had a few friends who we leaned heavily on to allow us in the building at Princeton, you know, but I think one thing that we were, 
that we go with is like, what are the, th- what, what can happen that, what can only happen because the four of us are doing it? Yeah. Like, sure. yeah, it's cool to look at bang, bang on the can. Yeah. We modeled ourselves after Banglewood. We looked at other percussion festivals that were happening. We looked at Kronos, we, but then there's a point at which you got to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that only happens because David Lang and Philippa Thompson and Michael like they're Okay. So for you, for the four of you, like, what is the thing that only the four of you can do? You know, like in terms of mm-hmm. a festival and like, what is the thing that only the four of you have to offer that nobody else can do? Um, and I just want to encourage you, like, I feel like you should just start a festival tomorrow. <laughs> like, okay, so, and, uh, but I'm, listen, this is why I'm, this is why I'm not teaching brain surgery to be clear, because like <laughs> the stakes are just not as high maybe as you think they are with, with running a festival, like have a very clear idea of what it is the four of you think you, you can do, and then you're going to get 70% of it. Mm-hmm. And then the next festival you try to get 72%, you know, and then one festival, you're going to get 40%. And you're going to be like, we got to quit, you know? Um, but I just like, I think the four of you have a really interesting vibe. I think you communicate really well. You're genuine. And I think the sooner that can be in front of people on that level, the sooner people can be learning from you on that level, the better that's well, take, that. take that for what it's yeah. worth. But um, I just like the longer you guys wait to start a festival, that means that there's some fourth grader who has to wait another year <laughs> to chat with all of you. So <laughs> now it means you got to figure out budgets and there's, yes, that's terrifying, yeah. but you can call me. I'll help you. You know, okay. <laughs> I've fallen on my face 13 years in a row doing it. So, um, <laughs> well, anyway, that's, that all sounds really interesting. And it, and I think one of the things that I just want to tie back a little bit to what you said about your personal experience, you having, holding a violin in 18 months and having a mom who thought that putting you in a chamber music group at a young age wasn't weird. All of those things happen for a reason. And I think if in 20 years, fourth graders don't find it weird to write music for string quartets, maybe, maybe that is the one thing you hang your flag on. And you just are like, that's the one test blue. And you're like, I'm going to trust that in 20 years, this is going to be the case. Um, that would be awesome. If in 20 years, that would be awesome. there's yeah. just like fourth. Do you know the, um, do you know Aaron Bush? I, that name sounds familiar to me, but no. She's a cellist. She teaches at UPenn now, um, or in part of she may be finishing up her graduate work. Um, but she's sort of, she's in the composition department down there and, um, but I've known Aaron. She's a dear friend of mine who's a, from a, 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 another friend, mutual friend. Um, but she's been running the Young Women's Composers Camp um, oh, out of UPenn. I think I do know this. And yeah. I think the name is changing. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure to what. But I, mostly okay. I think it's high school aged, like high school to 17 years old or something like that. It's a very s- small window. And it's awesome. Like she's got like 30 kids that apply every year now and it's, it's totally bonkers. And and like, as you were talking, I was just like, you guys should reach out to her and be in res, you know, where it just like collaborate with her and her students because she's doing, she's doing something very similar, but, um, sorry, Sarah. Now I just, I just puked all this stuff out that are you, do you want to respond to any of what I just said about how you should start a festival tomorrow? (laughs) Or would you rather move on? Um, I'm probably not going to start a festival tomorrow. <laughs> you just finished your record. It's fine. Take a weekend. Take the weekend. <laughs> no, but it's, it's, I mean, it's good thoughts though. I think, yeah, that's, that's, it's where we are trying to figure out mm-hmm. 
what's next because of course there's other things also we're thinking about is you know what commissions are next and how can we book more shows and you know so I think we're kind of weighing all of the different things that we dreamed big about Mm -hmm. a year ago when Mm -hmm. we couldn't rehearse and now we're kind of like okay we have to get this in order also like filing our nonprofit paperwork finally six months after we said we were going to um so you know that's kind of where we are especially now that recording stuff is over we're like okay it's at mid-month you're in what's (laughs) called the shit right now that's that's commonly you can look it up in books it's a term that is that is uh you're in the you're in the shit right now and that's you know um that's the thing that they can't we can't really teach it. So see, like you can't, yeah. it's hard to really explain when people are like, we want to do what you're doing. It's like, do you? It's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that phrase of like, Oh, do you want to be trapped in a biker bar with a mob boss? Like, that's kind of what it feels like. <laughs> yeah. Like, or you just be like, all right, fine. If you really love this, here's our QuickBooks account. If you can tell me anything <laughs> right. about it <laughs> in a month. Right. Um, well, Sarah, let me ask you a little bit about like, um, some some of the stuff that was was the reason that we reached out to each other. I know, you know, I've been posting stuff on Facebook, and ever since Trump got elected, I think I personally have had a moment of like real just struggle in terms of how I am trying to figure out how. how you know, I'm from a small rural town in Ohio, um, and I I clocked some personal moments of discomfort for me when I went to grad school, and people started talking about flyover states. And I was like, what, what does that even mean? Like, I don't, I don't know. What are you talking about? I like, all oh, those are the States that people fly. Those are the uninteresting States people fly over to, to get to the coast. And I was like, well, that's just, that's a weird thing to say, <laughs> you know? And, you know, and, just, and not to say that I didn't, didn't grow up. I mean, I grew up in, I heard, you know, racial slurs. I heard things said when I was growing up and, you know, that was sometimes part of small town culture, but I'm just kind of curious for you, like, well, and, and you can talk about any of it that you want want to, but like, what have been some things now that we're we're sort of five or six or seven years into a like noticeable societal sort of like <laughs> where uh, from Me Too to Trump to George Floyd to the vaccine with AAPI stuff, like there's a lot going on. And I, I don't want to discount in the past. There's always a, there's always been a lot going on, um, but I'm I've had a real hard time with the way people are communicating, and the way that like the frequency with which broad brushes get pulled out and used to sort of like, wow, oh, good, that feels better. I've just done said this thing, or I you know, I don't know that I have a really good question here, but. Why did you message me? I guess I want to say, like, why did you reach out to me after I had, like, what prompt? I didn't reach out to you, to be clear. Like, yeah. I didn't reach out and say, Sarah, what did you think of my post? You know, like, <laughs> what was it about something I said? And again, you don't have to agree with everything I'm saying. If there's something that, you know, I'm, I'm happy to disagree with folks. But, like, what what has been on your mind and on that front? And what do you want to talk about? Yeah. Um, it's always hard to know where to start with this. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah. I also started noticing this around, you know, 2016, mm-hmm. 17, um, after I'd lived in Baltimore for three or four years at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and Memphis is, is in Tennessee, is in the deep South, you know, uh, usually, okay, just to clarify, because usually people think when I say I'm from Tennessee that I'm from the mountains, which I'm not. Memphis is the Southwest 
part of Tennessee and it borders Arkansas and Mississippi. Um, I just, you know, for everyone's general knowledge, yeah, it's my a, favorite is. It's a diverse state. Like, I'm from Memphis and people are like, oh, I love Nashville. I'm like, oh, me too. Yes. <laughs> It's like people from California. They're like, I'm from California. You're like, good. I love LA. And you're like, right. right. Yeah, I'm from Humboldt. Yeah. I'm from Humboldt County. That's like way north and it's all farms, you know? Anyway. Um, yeah. And I, I think I started just noticing around that time that basically if I was in Baltimore, most of the people that I loved were saying terrible things about the people I loved in Memphis. And if I was in Memphis, most of the people I Loved I either, I mean, maybe not like the specific people, but culturally what I was hearing mm-hmm. um, was terrible things about the people I loved in Baltimore, right? And so that's the first thing that I was kind of just hearing, again, if not from specific people saying to me that I was hearing being said right. around me, mm-hmm. you know, right. whether in the hallways at school, whether, mm-hmm. you know, in the hallways at the church I was at, you know, like, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not sure people realized they were doing it because it wasn't personal because if you don't know anyone in the generalizations that you're making Mm -hmm. then it doesn't feel like you're doing anything wrong um and it's and i think most people don't know anyone kind of in polar opposite social political ideologies that themselves um so that's or the if question. they do, though, they're they're certainly not friends. It's, or, yeah, it's a tangential yeah. relationship. Like it's somebody. There happens to be one outspoken, relatively conservative person at the school, right. and everybody's like, "Oh, that's the one conservative person," and right, right, you know, right. whatever. But there's no family, or maybe you have. Yeah, yeah, just right. Yeah, it's not, and it's also not like large quantities of people. Mm-hmm. Too. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I mean. I, I certainly haven't found any answers to this, but it's something that I think about a lot. And um, it seems that you think about a lot. And that's why I responded just because I, again, I don't think there are many people who do know a lot of people that are, that really think and live very differently than each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's, it's also hard for folks to see the similarities that are there um, that mm-hmm. display like, display themselves very differently depending on on, explain drill down on that a little bit like what do you mean uh, yeah i know i i I knew i I I can see in your eyes when you said it you're like i don't know what i just said i don't know what i'm trying to say here but what you said is interesting like and i I think i want to i'm curious about that i think what it is is when it comes down to it people think they're doing the right thing and and i think i that's at least that's how i feel i might just change my mind on that next week i don't know Mm. but um and I, I try to remember that. Like, I also think I'm saying and doing the right thing and maybe I'm not, but, um, well, I'll tell you, I think from- that's hard for people to remember. Mm. Like when we start to villainize each other, Yeah. that like somebody, like maybe people on the right or on the left think that the other side is like intentionally being awful. <laughs> right? right. But of right. course people, people are actually really trying to do what they think is best either for themselves or for other people or some combination, which is the most likely because, you know, motives. But I will um, say for me, like on a personal level, one of the things that I think I was not aware of just the way that I operate, the way I do things, the way I communicate, the way I build trust with people, um, that comes from me being in a very small 
rural town where you, you know, if your car breaks down, you don't get to decide whether it's a Biden voter or a Trump voter that's going to help you, right? Like, that's that's not ever part of the equation. Um, and, you know, there's Amish buggies coming through town, and you don't just get to drive your car and honk at them because they're driving slow because they're there and you want to go eat dinner at, in Sugar Creek on Saturday. And so, like, like you, it doesn't mean you're, like, not, like, sometimes, like, wow, that's weird. Horses and buggies, why don't they drive a car? You know, like, and like, yeah, yeah, like you, those things are said too, but there's never a moment where you're just cutting, we just get rid of people because they drive you crazy, right? And for me, the thing that, being from a small town, and I think at least the culture that I was raised in was one of like, like, I might need you. And the way I'm going to learn whether or not you can deal with when the stuff really hits the fan is we're going to rib each other. We're going to give each other shit constantly. Like there's constant, like um, it's not trolling and it's not hazing. It's a, just, it's a, like, if you can't take me making fun of your hat, you are definitely not going to be there when I need you when there's real trouble, you know? And it doesn't mean I think he shouldn't wear the hat or that he's a bad person or any of that. It's just, it was clear that the intent there was like, like you got me, right? Yeah, I got you. You got a stain on your shirt. You smell bad. Like, like there was all, there was that constantly. When I moved, when I go to school, as a at, at University of Akron, we're in a department where there's like thirty kids, right? And we're all in this basement, and that was just even more intense. Like, I think on the outside you could perceive some of it as hazing or inappropriate or toxic or whatever, but I'm telling you, on the inside, I got it just as hard from from Lisa Migliori as I did from Ron Martin. Like, and there was a constant, like, anyway, so then I go to Yale where the department is five people and I'm at an elite institution on the West, they're on the East coast there. Then that's where I start to feel like, like people were like, what are you doing? Why are you talking to me like that? I'm like, what do you mean? Like, just lay off. Like, and I'm like, lay off of what? Like I, you're misreading what I, I don't, I don't hate you. This is how I'm showing I love you, you know, but nobody, I was forced. And again, this is a first world problem. It was a, it was incumbent upon me to change the way I operated. And there was no desire from the other end to even learn about the way that I communicated. Mm -hmm. That was just an understanding in the room. Right. I go into many green rooms now as a, and so percussion. And there's just this understanding of like how things go. Right. And I've, now, I have a I've sharpened those tools that I have. I started sharpening it in 2004 when I went to Yale, and now here I am 21 years later or 27 years later and or 17 years later. I'm just better at it now. Yeah, I'm not good at math either, Sarah. <laughs> like like I'm just better at it now. But it bums me out because for 17 years there's a part of me I've just never shown to anybody. Yeah. And I, I now and then after five years after Me Too and all of this stuff, I, I'm again, I'm, I'm not trying to equate anything that I'm going through to, with anything that has happened to, to women or anything. But do we want, let me ask you, between you and me, do you want a society where everybody is hiding a little bit of who they are? Or do you want everybody to, I want, us, I want, I want you to be as you as quick as possible with me. I want to get to the part of Sarah that I don't understand because why would I spend my whole life with you only to find out at age 72, you were a real piece of shit. 
<laughs> you know, surprise. like, surprise, here's the one thing I didn't tell you. I like to kill dogs, you know, like, <laughs> Sarah, I would just appreciate wow. if you told me that right up front, you know? Uh, and so anyway, I, I don't know, like, I, I don't have a good question here, but like, that is something I've identified about myself. I know a lot of people who don't know me. And that bothers me. Yeah, it's a good question. And I, and I think it's, I don't know, it's hard for me to conceptualize that, like, on a large scale. It's a lot easier to think about on, on one, one at a time interactions, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, which I think is where that has to start anyway. Um, because, yeah, I, a whole society where everyone isn't hiding, I don't think is... Yeah, as I said that, I was like, oh, that might be a thing. <laughs> it does. Yeah, maybe Something we don't, about that. Maybe we don't need to know what everybody's thinking all the time. I'm just not sure. Yeah. <laughs> but 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 I think it's I think it's true when it comes down to daily interactions, right? Like how much are we feeling needs to be hidden and why and in what contexts, right? Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. It's an interesting question. I, it's, that's not something I thought about very much. Are you, have you had any moments of, um, and again, I'm asking this, like, uh, I've had moments with my bandmates where I've noticed like, Oh, whoa, you don't actually, I've known you for 15 years and somehow like we're two ships passing in the night on this thing that I think is really important, mm-hmm. you know, whether it be race or gender or whatever, like somehow there's something where I'm like, Oh, um, like, have you ha- clocked any of those moments with your own bandmates? And, and, and again, and I say that because the reason I have those moments with, so is because I love those guys, like they're family to me, you know? And that's why having these moments is so like traumatic because of like, wait a minute, you're my family in the same way that my, you know, my mom is a Trump voter, you know, it's like, she's my family. She's my mom. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't cut her out of my life. I'm going to fight with her sometimes, but you know, but like for you, ha- has it been interesting to navigate now that you're like, you have a few projects under your belt, you've had band fights, you've gotten, you're now a group, right? Um, how have those conversations happened amongst the, the four of you? If they happening at all, I don't want to assume right, that either. Right. I think surprisingly, we haven't had really any band fights, but, um, That's good. That's you good. know, I, I think that our, our situation is unique in that we all four come from really different backgrounds mm-hmm. from each other, all four, like in a lot of different ways. I mean, mm-hmm. Irene is from France, maybe is from Singapore, Lita and I are both from the South, but from really different, um, like, uh, I guess, ideologies within the South. Mm-hmm. Um, Where's Lita and from? And so she's from North Carolina. North Carolina, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the other so, thing when people talk about, like, the South. It's like, that's a broad brush, too. It really is. It's yeah. like, if you, you can't even say, like, Ohio politics. It's like, all right, Ohio is a vastly different place depending on where you're at, where you're at, you know? Yeah, for sure. So I think in that way, like, because we're all coming to start with with, with such different perspectives, mm-hmm. it's more, um, it's kind of hard to put a finger on this, actually. I think we almost disagree less because we know that we're all coming from such different places mm. and that we have things to learn from each other. Mm. And so it's, it's not even an, it, I don't think it was even an expectation from the beginning that we would agree on everything. 
Um, and we, we actually, I think when it comes down to the big things, we, the big things, whatever that means, but like, you know, we do, we do agree on a lot of things. You're all um, in with, the same, you're all you know, in the same trench. Variations. You're all in the same trenches. Like, yeah. You know, you're not right. on, on the same side um, of the war, you know? And, and then we bring different perspectives to those things and, and can learn from that, I think, which is great and is an ongoing process and probably will continue to be for a long time. Um, yeah. Does that answer the question? Yeah, it does. And uh, I guess like for me, the, the, the question I've been asking myself is like, and this is just a, just a thought experiment really for myself. Could I imagine, could I, could there ever be a openly politically center right string quartet? played music that you know you know what i mean like in our generation in our generation right now could there ever be a percussion quartet that uh you know we did a show about guns that was pretty much pretty clearly talking about us from one standpoint right and like trying to push us could you could there ever be a percussion quartet that pushes the other view Mm -hmm. that's pro second amendment probably not right and i i think that's my answer today too yeah. I guess for me, if I'm having a thought experiment, is that a healthy community? Right. Right. That's the, that's the question. Is that a truly healthy new music community that represents, you know, oh, and, and again, like, I don't know if the answer is, do we want to represent all, <laughs> all viewpoints? I don't, I personally feel like that's an ideal that we should shoot for, but mm. so, like when I, when I ask that question out loud, like what comes to mind for you? It's kind of a scary question mm-hmm. for for a lot of reasons. Um, I think there are very few people in the music community that would be open to that question. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I feel nervous about not being open to that question because I mm-hmm. because of my situation between two very vastly different mm-hmm. political worlds, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So of course, yeah, that does mean that that's excluding people that I care about. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's that's a it's a hard question. Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, again, that's why I put it in the bottle of like thought experiment because right. It's to me, I'm if, if I'm just if I just collected all the data points and was like, oh, like what is being what is. Yeah, again, like I'm not. I don't. I don't think there's a need necessarily for toxic masculinity string quartet. You know, <laughs> like where we just do the music of toxic masculinity, and it's really important because it's not getting airtime. You know, like we just already had all of those for the last hundred years. <laughs> but like you know the, but like I mean I'm talking even like we're just going to do arrangements of like WWF <laughs> theme music. You know, like okay. forget about. I mean Beethoven. I would say is on the spectrum of toxic masculinity. I would say Beethoven is maybe more in our trench than the music for the WWF. But like, but to me that it is an interesting. It's an interesting, interesting thing to think about because art, I feel, is our job is to push out on the walls of the balloon as much as possible because of society and whether you're a string quartet, whether you're a comedian, whether you are a visual artist, whether you're a dancer, um, like your job is to sort of like, what can we do? What aren't we doing? Why am I in the room? 
Yeah. And I don't like I'm in the room, but I, I have no desire to advocate for, you know, Ben Shapiro being having a presence in the like, that's not at all what I'm saying. What I am saying is like, how far is it really that scary over there? If I just push a little bit to learn a little bit more about yeah, right. this person that I, or, or, or this culture that I maybe don't understand rural culture or, you know, inner city black culture. There's a lot, like you said earlier, there's a lot of folks I go, I, I correspond with on a regular basis who think that I'm going to get mugged every time I walk off the subway Yep. because yeah. of some predetermined thing they've been told yeah. about because they watched cops growing up, you know, <laughs> like, um, and so push on both sides of the balloon. Otherwise what I, what I think is we have one of those like over the hill balloons that sort of lost little air and is just sort of listing to one side. <laughs> yeah, sure. You can still read the message. I appreciate your, your sentiment. It was great, but it's kind of a shitty balloon, right? <laughs> well, Sarah, yeah, I don't yeah. go ahead. Sorry. No, I mean, I was just going to, I think, I think that that kind of takes us back to that. I don't know. It just brings me back to like, yeah, everybody thinks they did the great right thing. Right. Yeah. And so then, how does that inform how we interact with people? I don't know. Well, you because also some people sometimes people are not doing the right thing, even if they think so. Like, right. I think that's the balance I'm always looking for. I think that also like I'm um, fortunate to be in a place that I can, that I can interact with people who think lots of different things, and it doesn't cause a significant amount of emotional or other distress to me because of, I don't know, my situation in life financially as a person, personality wise, like it's, and, and just the connections that I do have. And I realize also that's not, that's just simply not the case for everyone. Um, Either not knowing people or just um, not, like most of the people that I interact with are very kind and respectful to me. And I also realize that's not the case for everyone either. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I realize there's a lot of um, elements there, but it also makes me feel kind of, although it's like sometimes confusing and frustrating, it's also pretty great to be situated in a place mm-hmm. where you have connections on all, and across lots of different perspectives and ideas, because I realize that's not super common actually. So yeah, I, I just, Yeah, I've been sort of couching all this in this sort of like, I have anxiety and fear about it. Like my anxiety of like, why can't I, you know, I'm not being who I am. It's not like I'm like, I'm not showing my inner racist, you know, like, but it's just like, there's a part of me that there's a nuance down there that I'm not really drilling into yet in some contexts. Um, But yeah, seeing that as a, it is reassuring to me. I'm really glad that I can walk into, I can walk into a bar in Trinidad. I can walk into a bar in Brooklyn. I can walk into a bar in Dover, Ohio. I can walk into a bar in Latvia or in Russia. And I don't have anxiety about what's about to happen. And that's because I've just had a million at bats at that. But I, but I also want to just point out something to that the four of you do really well with the individuate project. Um, you know, we, we took a, a, a theme that was talking about masculinity and the way in misogyny, right? And we had some seriously vulnerable conversations with the four of you, like 
I was about as honest with the four of you as I am with any other female in my life about what my experience with women has been, what my experience with men has been in locker rooms in various situations, you know, because there's the there's the cartoon of what everybody thinks men talk about in locker rooms. And then there's what actually men talk about in locker rooms. And then there's what men tell you they talk about in locker rooms, <laughs> you know, like there's but it's all anyway, but like we you opened a space for us to have that conversation and none of us I never felt like I was afraid and so like but like like that doesn't I don't have that feeling much in our community and but I had it with a string quartet of four young women so anyway just to say like on zoom on zoom yeah so imagine if we (laughs) maybe maybe it would have been more awkward in person who the hell knows like I don't know but like that's true but I just I want to say just in the in the spirit of like teaching fourth graders how to compose music. I think you all are leading with a generosity of spirit um, that in 20 years, the conversation that we had with the eight of us will be more normal because you started doing it in 2021 Mm -hmm. or 2020 or whatever. And I think just you're, you all are leading with the right stuff. And I want to thank you for, at least for the four of us and for me personally, for, you know how to make those spaces already. And so I think just keep doing that. Um, and I'll put another plug, start a festival <laughs> tomorrow, <laughs> tomorrow, send one email tomorrow that, halt, that, that, op- that tears the bandaid off of the festival sort of wound and, and see, Great. see where it goes. But well, Sarah, do you have any final, uh, anything you want to wrap up here with? I've stolen exactly an hour of your life and I am already feeling guilty about it. Um, well, please don't feel guilty about but, that. I've really enjoyed it. And I, you know, my, my door is always open here. If there's anything else that comes up, you want to chat about. Um, and also you are not beholden to anything you said in this hour. It's immediately <laughs> the, the expiration date starts as soon as we're done and you, you're free to change your mind. But is there any, any work, anything you want to wrap up with here or any um, question for me? I don't think. Oh yeah. Ooh. I don't think so. That's fine. I'll probably think of a question in like five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually um, how this works. Well, where can folks, where can folks find out um, specific, maybe anything that you personally are working on? Like let's forget about your Bergamot sisters for two seconds. And like, what's, if there's anything that folks want to learn more just about Sarah Thomas and what you're, oh, that's what you're doing, where, can folks, where can folks go? Um, <laughs> what, what am I doing? Other than Bergamot stuff? I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I have a I have a website. It's sarahthomasviolin.com. There's another Sarah Thomas who also plays violin that is not me. Her website is sarahthomasviolinist.com. So if you want to check her website out, you can do that too. Um, no. And yeah. All right. What do we need? Thing. How do we bring down this other Sarah Thomas? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm no just kidding. I'm sure that. she's lovely. <laughs> yes. Um, but I'm biased. I only have one Sarah Thomas in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. What else? I, I, I'm not, I mean, life is pretty much... Bergamot stuff right now. And, and I, I work at Peabody in their career office at Launchpad. So I'm staying busy with that. Um, mostly I would recommend checking out Bergamot's website mm-hmm. because it looks a lot better than mine and it actually has more stuff that I'm doing on it. So that's bergamotquartet.com. Okay. Yeah. 
Awesome. Well, Sarah, I am very grateful for your time. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Yes, you I too. Hope, Thank I you. Hope, I hope you enjoyed it as well. And if you didn't, you can pretend and then um, tell all your friends that you didn't. That's fine. Um, <laughs> but give my love to the the, the other uh, the ladies in Bergamot and uh, stay healthy and safe. And I hope, desperately hope, that we can get together. I'm moving back to New York in, in December. Wait, what? My wife got a job. She is going to be the first oh, female right. pastor in like 157 years at this church in Manhattan. So congratulations to your wife. That's very Yeah, exciting. She's a beast and I'm really proud of, proud of her and pumped for her, but also it's, I'm pumped to be back in New York. And so nice. maybe we can toast and have a beer then. Um, Sounds good. And, yeah. and tip one back, but Sarah, Sarah, stay healthy and safe. Pass on my love to everybody and uh, look forward to chatting again. Soon. Yes, you too. Sounds good. All right. See you, buddy. Bye. Bye. Thanks. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. This podcast is brought to you by Liquid Drum, liquiddrum.com down in Waco, Texas. Uh, my good friend Todd Meehan runs an amazing percussion company down there. Great merch, great content. Check him out, liquiddrum.com. Also, Kyle Dunleavy, dunleavypans.com, D-U-N-L-E-A-V-Y pans.com. Kyle Dunleavy makes and builds all the steel drums that I perform and teach on, uh, and so percussion as well as at NYU and Princeton. Uh, he's an amazing, amazing tuner builder, um, just a really nice guy, very dependable. Check him out. If you are interested at all in steel pan advocacy, uh, want to learn more about the goings-on uh, in pan in Brooklyn, check out paninmotion.com. My good friend Kendall Williams, uh, Jerry Guy, Trisha Guy, and uh, Arisha John run an amazing organization called paninmotion.com. Check him out. And finally, Aliandre Mirage runs an amazing uh, clothing apparel company in Brooklyn that is steel pan centric. You can check him out at Mango Chow, C-H-O-W, clothing.com. I own a bunch of his shirts. They're amazing, very stylish, uh, beautiful, beautifully made. Check them out. Mango Chow, clothing.com. Okay, hope you're well. Talk to you soon. Bye. <laughs>